Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And as you're turning to Ephesians chapter 4, I'd like for you to think about the person that irritates you the most. I really hope that that person's not sitting next to you right now. If they are, please do not tell them that they're the most irritating person to you. And I hope, although I could be, I could be that person. Uh, and so uh, you get the joy of bearing with me for the next few minutes. Uh, but think about that. We, we do. We irritate each other, don't we, sometimes? We put up with people all the time. If you have a commute outside of about five miles of this facility, I'm sure that you feel irritation and frustration when you're dealing with drivers on the road and traffic and, and whatever. Uh, it's irritating. Maybe you showed up this morning and you've got like your spot in the parking lot. And it's like every time you roll up to that spot, you could just feel the spirits filling, you know, just like this is awesome anointing. But then you pulled up this morning and somebody's in that parking spot and it's put you in a bad mood and made you cranky. Maybe as you walked in and you looked across the lobby, you know, that person that you know is an acquaintance, maybe they kind of gave you just kind of a funny look like, what in the world is he wearing? What, what the heck? What do you do with his hair today? Or maybe they like, were shading their eyes because you had this bad glare off your forehead or something like that. It was really bad. But they gave you a funny look and it offended you, right? We do that to one another. Maybe somebody, though, said something really rude to you this week or even this morning. Maybe you said something rude to somebody this morning, something that was really offensive and cutting and mean-spirited. We irritate each other. There's, there's ways that we bump into each other. Uh, we really have to work at tolerating one another. That's a, that's a big buzzword in our culture in our day and age, toleration. And so the world is always asking us, you've got to tolerate this, you've got to tolerate that. But what about us tolerating one another in the church? tend to irritate each other. I've been there, and I know that I've probably been the source of that irritation for some of you multiple times. <laughs> I'm sorry. But let's take a look at God's Word this morning to find a response that God wants us to have when we do offend one another, or when we show our weakness, when we show our fallibility that we can fail each other. We're not perfect. None of us are perfect, so what do we do in response to that? Well, in our small groups uh, that meet uh, weekly, we've been having an emphasis on living life together. Uh, we've been using Gene Getz's book called Building Up One Another, and so this is going to be covering the chapter that talks about bearing with one another. Bearing with one another. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning, bearing with one another. And the way Mr. Getz defines it in the chapter on bearing with one another, he says that bearing with one another means being patient with each other's weaknesses. Being patient with each other's weaknesses. That's a nice little concise definition. We're going to take a look at the Word of God. What does that necessarily mean to be patient with each other's weaknesses? That brings us to Ephesians chapter 4. And Colossians chapter 3 will be our two main texts this morning. So follow along as I read aloud. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. It begins this way. Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul obviously says it right here in this, this, this text. He's writing from prison. He's writing from the prison in Rome and he's remembering everything that he had experienced with his beloved brothers and sisters at the church in Ephesus. He spent quite a bit of time with them. He shared with them the doctrines of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He shared with them important truths that would establish the church about Christ, about the scriptures, about the Holy Spirit, about the giftings and callings of God. And so he's remembering them and he says, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. This is the main command of the book of Ephesians. 
In fact, later in chapter 4, verse 17, Paul uses the same analogy of walking. It's that, it's that conduct of your life. It's, it's your thoughts, it's your attitudes, it's your motives, it's your actions. It's how you live your life in light of the salvation that you've experienced through the gospel. And so in chapter 4, verse 17, he says, You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. So here we were shown a way that you shouldn't be walking. Now the Gentiles, they were pagans, they, they were idol worshipers, and they lived according to their own sets of rules that they made for these gods. But they say, Paul says, stop walking in the futility of the Gentiles and start walking in a new direction. Walk in a manner that's consistent with the new calling that you have in Jesus Christ. He also says in chapter 5, verse 2, he says, and I want you to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So don't walk following the Gentiles in the world in their sin, but instead walk following Jesus Christ in the love that he modeled for us. He also says in chapter 5, verse 8, I want you to walk as children of light as opposed to darkness. Darkness represents sin and the domain of Satan. I want you to wa not walk in that direction, but walk as children of light. And finally, in chapter 5 of Ephesians, Ephesians in verse 15, he says, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So Paul is saying throughout this entire book, in light of the gospel, in light of all these wonderful truths of God's grace and salvation through his son, Jesus Christ, I want you to walk in a way that is consistent with this calling, with this salvation that you've experienced. He says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called in chapter 4, verse 1 of Ephesians, our text. Called. Called. I want you to pay attention to that word. God has called the Ephesians. God has called the people who make up his church. This calling is as God's drawing and bringing us to himself. It's his initiative. This calling is according to a new identity that we have in Jesus Christ. And it's not as if we were like, you know, we were just waiting for God's call, okay? So I'm watching my cell phone. Has God called me yet? No, no, no. We weren't waiting for him. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 5 says, You who are once dead in trespasses and sins, God's made alive. So it's his initiative to call you. You didn't even know you needed it in, in many senses. You didn't know how blind and how sinful and how dead you were. But then if you know Jesus Christ, he called you one day and snatched you away from the domain of sin and darkness. And he said, I want to call you to something new. I want you to be made alive in God. Chapter 2, verses 11 to 13 says, We were once separated from Christ, but now we've been brought near. Again, there's that calling. We used to be way over here separated from Christ, but he called you. He called me and he said, Now I want you to come near. That's his calling. Don't forget that. Remember that as we move along. God's called each and every single one of us. So he says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you've received from God. Well, what kind of attitudes are we to, to exhibit in that, call, in that walk? Well, he gives us that in verse 2. It's with all humility and gentleness, with patience. These are the characteristics that accompany that walk. These are the kind of attitudes we should be seeking to exhibit in our hearts, and it should eventually come out. But it says that we're supposed to have patience. With patience. As you walk with one another, show patience. Now we're getting a little bit closer to this aspect of bearing with one another. Remember, that's our topic this morning. We're talking about bearing with one another. And here we have a key element to that bearing. It's patience. Patience. Well, what does that look like? Patience is a, it's a long suffering. It's non-retaliatory. If you could imagine, it's it's like you're standing there and, and you're you're, you're self-restrained. In fact, it, this is a quality of self-restraint in the face of provocation. You're just getting provoked, but you're saying, "I'm going to restrain myself and be patient. I'll suffer with this for a long time, from you and from me. Patient with each other." This is the opposite of anger. It's associated with mercy. And in fact, this kind of word is used of God. God being patient and long-suffering. Being provoked constantly to anger, but yet not punishing. Patience. Patience. 
So a major aspect of this being bearing, one another, uh, bearing with one another is being patient and long-suffering with each other. Well, then what are the actions then from Ephesians 4 that we're supposed to exhibit? Then we've got the attitudes, now the actions about walking according to this new calling. It says that in verses 2 through 3 that we're to bear with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now we get to it. Bearing with one another in love. What in the world does that mean? Well, literally, it means to hold up. It's to hold yourself up to me, and I will hold myself up to you. You're going to offend me, and you are weak, and you are sinful, and so am I. But you're not going to tip me over easily as as it comes to you. I'm going to hold myself up for you, bearing with one another. It means that we forbear one another. We don't use the word forbear very often, but it's that idea of long-suffering with each other. We don't give up on each other easily. We receive one another. We take up for one another. We bear with one another. We endure with one another. It's not retaliating. It assumes that we've got weaknesses. You and me, I've got weaknesses. You've got weaknesses. I'm assuming that, but I'm still here. I'm not going anywhere. I'm bearing with your weaknesses. I'm bearing with your sins. However, this doesn't mean that we bear and tolerate our sin. It means, though, that in the moment when I give up, or in the moment when I sin, you're saying, I'm not going to tolerate that, Matthew, but that doesn't change how I feel about you. I love you. I'm here for you. Again, it's not tolerating the sin, but it's bearing with me in my weakness and holding up for me, enduring with me, and seeking to restore me. In fact, I think the way that we bear with one another, one of us is caught in a sin, the way we do that is that we come and we can gently try to restore it and even rebuke one another. But in that rebuke, we're not saying, I'm giving up on you. What we're saying is that I'm here, I'm enduring with you, and I'm calling you, come back. Be restored. Repent. In fact, that's what we do when we practice church discipline. It's not that we're giving up on the one who, who, who has sinned. What we're saying is that we're here for you, but we're calling you to repentance. That takes a lot of strength. That takes a lot of courage. That takes a lot of endurance to say we are here for you, and we are holding you to the standard that God has put out. We're not just going to tip over, but we're enduring God's standard with you. Come, be restored, and repent. We're not bearing with with the sin, but we're bearing with each other. We bear with one another. But how do we do this? We do it with agape kind of love. Bear with one another in love, or bear one another with love. It's sacrificial love. It's, It's for the benefit of the other person. Bearing with each other. I'm here for you. I'm gonna hold you up, even if it costs me something. Even if it costs me my convenience, even if it costs me my comfort, I'm here for you. I'm enduring for you, bearing with each other in love. John MacArthur puts it this way. He says, bearing with one another takes abuse from others while continuing to love them. Ooh. Bearing with one another takes abuse from others while continuing to love them. I mean, you can imagine this. There's nobody that's exhibited this better than Jesus. What did he say when he was on the cross being crucified? Forgive them, Father, for they do not know what they're doing. What kind of love, what kind of forbearance is this? Forgive them, even as they're nailing the spikes into his hands and into his feet and putting him on a cross. Well, we're to bear with one another. We're to hold up ourselves for one another and endure with each other. And all the while, we're eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. I want to tell you, brothers, sisters, unity takes a lot of work. It's hard. That's why Paul says you need to be eager, striving. It's going to take effort. It's going to take blood, sweat, and tears to maintain this unity. But we must hold up ourselves for one another so that we would be unified in the Holy Spirit and unified for peace. Let me tell you, there is so many things out there in this world and maybe even in this room that that Satan would love to use to split us apart. But we must be eager. We must be standing and enduring with one another to hold each other up. 
That's what Paul was calling the Ephesians to. He said, this is the walk you should be walking. It's according to the calling that you have from God. And so I want you to hold each other up and bear each other up and strive for peace. That gives us one picture of this bearing up one another. So I want to remind you some of the key words that you've heard here. Calling, it's according to our calling. It's with love. It's with patience that we bear one another up. Please turn over to Colossians chapter 3. This is a parallel passage. Paul has got the same emphasis for the church at Colossae because it's all God's church. All of it's God's church. It's Christ's church. And so there's the same sorts of commands that we'll see in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Follow along as I read aloud. It says this, Put on then... As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if, any, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Now see, back in Ephesians 4, if you recall, Paul said, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. But here Paul says the same thing, but just in a different way. He says, I want you to put on something as God's chosen ones. As God's chosen ones. In fact, in chap uh, chapter 3, verse 5, if you just point your eyes up a few verses there in Colossians 3, Paul says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. So he's saying, I want you to put to death something or take it off and I want you to put on something else. Put to death what is evil and wicked in you, because it still remains, it's still there, even though the old man of sin has been put to death, Romans chapter 6, there's still some abiding sin in the flesh that needs to be put off. So put it to death in your soul. Put it to death in your heart. And instead of putting, putting on death and sin and immorality, put on something else. Put on something else. Put on some new clothes. Change your lifestyle. Similar to walk in Ephesians, he says, make this your lifestyle. Close yourself, close your, clothe yourself with these things. Take off and put on. But he says, put on these things, but he puts the, the, little, the little phrase in there, as God's chosen ones. As God's chosen ones. Again, you're putting on something because you have a new identity. God has chosen you, church at Colossae, and I would say God has chosen you, those who are followers of Jesus Christ at Valley Bible Church. This is the same kind of word as the calling we saw in Ephesians 4. God called us out of darkness into light. God chose us before the foundation of the world out of sin so that we would belong to Him. Romans 8, 29 to 33 describes this choosing, but it says that we've been foreknown by God. God knew you before the foundation of the world. Not what you did, but He knew you. He saw you. He saw me. And knowing you before the foundation of the world, He predestined you to adoption as sons. It says those whom He's foreknown, He predestined. Those whom He predestined, He's called. Those whom He called, He's justified. And those whom He's justified, He's glorified. Being God's chosen ones means that God has chosen a people for Himself. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, God chose you to be in His family. That choosing results in the calling that we saw in Ephesians 4. He chose Matthew before the foundation of the world. I didn't deserve it. I, he saw me as an enemy, but he said, I'm going to choose Matthew. And then he called me and said, now, Matthew, I want you to come out of darkness, and I want you to come into light. So this choosing and this calling is, is tied to one another. The choosing and then the calling. And so now, therefore, put on as God's chosen ones. Put on. It's because of our new identity in Jesus Christ. We're holy and beloved. Man, I very rarely feel holy. Only when I consider what Jesus Christ has done for me. And the new identity that I have in Him. 
So we're to put on as God's chosen and God's called ones who are holy and beloved. What kind of attitude are we supposed to have as we put on? Just like Ephesians said, as you walk, have these attitudes. Well, as you put on, have these attitudes. And we see that here in, in chapter 3, verse 12 of Colossians. It says we're to, we're to have the attitude of compassion. It's an inner gut affection way down deep inside you. We're supposed to be affectionate for one another. You feel it inside. We're, we're also supposed to display kindness. And now we're going to see some words that are similar to Ephesians 4. Kindness, humility, meekness, and there's our word again, patience. Patience. Humility and patience are repeated from Ephesians chapter 4. Again, this patience is a long-suffering and enduring with one another. Again, it's true of God. It's a self-restraint when provoked. So as you live life together, put on patience. Put on humility as God's chosen ones. Be patient with one another. Have gut-wrenching affection for one another. Those are the attitudes, but we have actions again. Verse 13 says, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Again, let me remind you of our definition for bearing with one another. It literally means to hold yourself up for one another. I am here for you. Regardless of what you do to me, I am here for you. I will suffer abuse even from you because we are called together, because we are chosen together. I am going to bear with you, with patience. I will endure whatever you're going to shoot at me. But I love you. You're a brother. I love you. You are a sister in Christ. I will bear with you. It's enduring with one another does not retaliate. It assumes weaknesses in each other. And you can see it right there. You can see it right there in the text. Verse 13, bearing with one another and if anyone has a complaint. Listen, you're going to have a complaint against me. If we stick around together long enough, you are going to have a complaint against me. You're going to, one of these days you're going to say, you know what? I don't really like what Matthew did just there. All right? And if I hang out with you long enough, I'm going to say, hey, look, so-and-so, I really didn't like what they did or just said right there. I will have a complaint against you. You will have a complaint against me. That's the whole point. We're bearing with one another. Well, what's the response when we do something to one another? We forgive each other. We forgive each other. We don't hold a record of debts against one another. We forgive. We love. We're gracious to one another. We don't, we don't hold things against each other. Jesus shared this with Peter. Uh, in Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 22, Peter was curious about this. He's like, man, these disciples, they're, they're bugging me. Hey, Lord, says in Matthew 18, 21, Peter came up to him and said to Jesus, Lord, how often will, will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And he was trying to be kind of generous, right? He says, as many as seven times? That's, that's pretty gracious, right? Seven times. But Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. 70 times seven. The whole point here is, and I know you mathematicians out there are like, oh, no, 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 490, right? Is that right? 490? Right, you just did it like that. Great, I got a number now. 490 times you, you, you poke your spouse and you're like, you're like at 480, you better watch it, right? You know? Don't stop counting. That's not the point. It's the hyperbole here. Jesus is saying not just seven times, but 70 times seven. Don't, don't keep a record. You all, all automatically always ought to have an attitude of forgiveness with your brother. And then Jesus goes on to tell a story. He talks about the story of, 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 a, of a king who was going to forgive all the debts of his servants. And he had one servant, one servant that owed so much debt, it was like 50 lifetimes worth of debt. So, I mean, you, you make, think about the wage you make in a year, times that, times, you know, whatever, 50 years of work, okay? And then you times that by 30. So it's like 30 lifetimes of, of earning money. And that's how big this servant's debt was. It was, you could never pay it back. But the king, out of the graciousness and kindness of his heart, forgave the debt. 
Could you imagine how much the, the, uh, gratitude and thankfulness that servant must have felt? Are you kidding me, right? I don't owe you this debt any longer. That could have been passed on to generation and generation. It's forgiven. Well, then that servant goes out, and uh, he's got somebody that owes him something, and it's, it's little. It's just a little debt. And you would think, oh, this servant just got forgiven so much. Surely he could forgive just a small debt. Well, what does he do? He gets angry. He rebukes that other, that other man that owed him something, and he punished him for it. The king finds out about it, and he brings in that servant. He says, come here, I want to talk to you. How in the world could you be stingy at offering the canceling of this debt when I canceled myriads, an unpayable debt to you? And the point that Jesus is making here is this. Look, you are forgiven by your Father in heaven, a debt that you could never repay back. How could you not offer forgiveness to one another for small, little debts? I want to ask you, have you ever considered how much sin you've been forgiven of if you are in Jesus Christ? Remember what God said in the Old Testament? He says, as far as the east is from the west. In the Psalms, he says, as far as the east is from the west, so have I removed my, your sin from you. I don't even count it anymore. I've forgiven all of your sin. So we also ought to forgive one another. Forgiveness. Our bearing with one another and forgiveness of one another is rooted in God's unconditional, and uh, unconditional forgiveness and acceptance of you. Have you experienced any acceptance from God through the gospel? Have you experienced any forgiveness from God through the gospel? That is the same kind of sacrificial love and acceptance and forgiveness we must offer to one another. And he says in verse 14 of Colossians 3, Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Really there, it's just saying, above all these, love. Above all these, love. Sacrificial love. God is love. If we are God's people, we ought to be sacrificially loving one another. The same kind of sacrificial love we find in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. The same kind of love that says God demonstrated his own love toward us, Romans 5, 8, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Love. So we've taken a look at Ephesians chapter 4 and Colossians chapter 3, and I think we could find three common characteristics, at least, in these two passages about what does it mean to bear with one another. And if you're taking notes, consider these three. The first characteristic tied to bearing with one another is patience. Again, it's that long-suffering patience that does not retaliate. It's true of God. In, in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, uh, this kind of patience, uh, we, see we see it when... When God is withholding judgment on the world, it says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? God's not quick to mete out punishment. And he's the one against uh, that we, we've offended. He's the one we've offended. And yet it says, don't presume upon his kindness and his patience. You see, he's not lazy. He's not procrastinating, and it's not that he's powerless to judge. He will judge this world, but right now he's saying, ah, I'm being patient with you. Come and repent. That's the same kind of patience we should have with one another. Often my reaction when I get provoked is, boom, I'm coming right back at you. That's not the Bible. We ought to bear with one another. Patient. So patience is the first real characteristic we need to understand. The second one is forgiveness forgiveness. And we saw it in our text. It's the forgiveness that is gracious. It gives freely, freely. You say, well, I'm going to stand here with my arms crossed until you come over here and apologize to me and, you know, you promise to take me out to lunch or something. No, it's this free forgiveness. You know, that's when that person, when they realize what they've done to you, they walk up to you and say, I really messed up. I, I said some horrible things to you. Uh, please forgive me. And you say, brother, sister, I've been forgiven. It's already given. I love you. Free, gracious, the kind of forgiveness that you've received. And the third characteristic 
tied to this bearing with one another, of course, is love, self-sacrifice, unconditional acceptance of others. So considering all these characteristics in mind and the text we've seen in Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3, I'll propose a definition to you for bearing with one another. It's unconditionally accepting one another in spite of all of our weaknesses as we have been unconditionally accepted by the Lord. I'll say that one more time. Bearing with one another is unconditionally accepting one another in spite of all of our weaknesses as we have been unconditionally accepted by the Lord. This kind of bearing with one another, the way I picture it is, is really enduring to open, hold open our arms toward one another. Enduring to hold open our arms to one another. When you do something bad against me, I don't start to close my arms or put them down or put them out to reject you. I've got an endurance in holding open my arms to you because we're called out ones. We're chosen ones. I love you with the love of Christ. We sang the song, Just As I Am, and I saw it in the first service, and I was nearly weeping in the second service as we sang it, Just As I Am. Just As I Am. And there's the the refrain that goes, uh, I come broken, I come weary, I come just as I am, and it says, and I'm welcomed with open arms. Praise God, just as I am. Now, it's easy to say, oh, man, that's like, that's precious treasure, right? It's like honey to the taste. It's, oh, just as I am. God, you have open arms. And we would die for that all day. But then, but you ain't coming to me just as you are. You better get it right. Do we extend the same kind of love, the same kind of open arms toward one another that God has offered to us? Enduring in open arms, holding open our arms to one another. Just as you are, brother, I accept you because that's how God accepts you. Just as you are, sister, I accept you. I receive you. All of your weaknesses, all of your failures, I will hold open my arms with an attitude of patience, forgiveness, and love for you because that's the kind of love, that's the kind of open arms that God has offered to you and to me. Enduring to hold our arms open toward one another. Unconditional acceptance. This is what we're called to. This is what we've been called to. This is what we were chosen for. It's rooted in our identity as called and chosen ones in Jesus Christ. We're called to Him together. But let me ask you a question, and this may even help us just a little bit. We're called to Him, but what are we called from? What are we called from? If you would indulge me just for a moment, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. What are we called from? from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 26 to 31 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 26 to 31 remember I wanted you to kind of just note in your mind a couple of terms here we saw in Ephesians chapter 4 walk as you've been called and in Colossians chapter 4 it says put on as God's chosen ones we've been called to something magnificent but what have we been called from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in this world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He's the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. 
We've been called to something great, but where have we been called from? What have we been chosen out of? We must have God's perspective toward one another. God didn't choose the wise. God didn't call the powerful. He didn't call many noble. As far as I know, I, I don't have any blue blood in me. I don't know that you do either. I don't know of any powerful politicians in here. I don't know any philosophers in here. But God chose the foolish, the weak, the low, and despised to be in his family. In other words, he chose and called common folk like you and like me. Why are we looking for perfection in one another? Why do we get short-tempered with one another? Why do we give up so quickly on one another? It's the very identity of who we are. We were called, not many of us were wise. We were called, not many of us were powerful. We're called, not many of us are of noble birth, but God chose us foolish, common folk, according to this world's standards. He chose us. I, I don't know about you, but I'm not rich. I'm rich in grace. It brings God glory that the very identity of who we once were is bound up in weakness so that God would get all the glory. We should be assuming it amongst ourselves. We should understand, hey, Matthew, I, I know you, when God called you, there wasn't a lot of wisdom there. I'll amen that. There wasn't a lot of power and there's not a lot of noble birth. But God's chose you to something better, right? And he's done the same for you. You've been called. Not many of you are wise or mighty or powerful. But the reason God does that is that so there's no one in this room, no one in this room who calls himself a follower of Jesus Christ can boast about any of it. If there's any strength that comes out of this room in serving Jesus, he deserves all the credit. If there's any wisdom that comes out of this room for the glory of Jesus, he deserves all the credit. In fact, he says, you know what? Not many of you were noble, but now I brought you into this family and your sons and daughters of the Father, your brothers and sisters of our elder brother, King Jesus, your fellow princes and princesses with him. You've been called out and you've been given something better. I'd assume that you're weak and you're not powerful and that you'll fail sometimes. And you ought to assume the same for me so that God would get all the glory. If any of you are sports fans, I, I'm sure you've seen this many times before. Uh, man, you know, it's like that guy, the, game, the, 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 the team, basketball team is down one point, right? And there's like a second or less than a second on the clock and he gets fouled and he gets two free throws. Two chances to at least tie the game. And if he makes both of them, they'll win. And he gets up there, brick. Oh, well, at least I got one more to tie it up. Brick. Team loses the game. The guy is just distraught, and it, it's awful. They lose the game. Or you've seen another scenario, right? You've seen another scenario. It's fourth and two, football, fourth and two, late in the game. You've got to convert this first down to keep that, that game-winning drive going, and it's late, and that ball comes perfect spiral from the quarterback. That receiver is out in the flat, and the ball hits him in the chest right through the numbers, through his arms, and hits the ground, turnover, and they lose the game. And, and inevitably, you've seen it. Uh, you've seen it before. Uh, in 1986, one of the most infamous plays in all of baseball history happened in Game 6 of the World Series. Uh, the Red Sox were we a 68-year drought of winning the World Series. And there's a little dribbler, and Bill Buckner is there at first base, and he lets the ball go right through his legs. I read an article recently, uh, years, decades later, and they're still coming to him and saying, how have you coped with it throughout your life? The biggest failure that we know of in sports. How have you been able to cope with it? All those years. Coping with failures and weaknesses and, and, and messing up big time. And I've seen the teams that tend to fail in the long run. They look good for a start, but then they fail in the long run. They're the types of teams when, when that kind of stuff happens. That guy, you know, he comes back into the dugout after that horrible error, and the whole team is on the way on the other side of the dugout. They just can't even look at the guy. It's like, oh, my goodness. I'm sick to my stomach. I can't believe you just did that, right? Or you see the guy that drops the ball in fourth and two, and, and he sits down on the bench, and he's got his head in his hands, and, like, everybody just 
just evacuates, right? He's by himself on the bench, and then the cameras are like real like close on him, and I feel bad for the guy, and he looks up, and there's tears and stuff. It's, it feels terrible, but he's by himself. He's on this island all by himself because he messed up and he failed, but I've seen the successful teams. The successful teams are the ones in the long run when that happens to that player, the captain comes over. Maybe it's the quarterback. He comes over, and he puts his arm around that receiver, and he says, hey, look, next time we're in that situation, and it's fourth and two, I'm throwing the ball to you. I'm holding up myself for you. I'm not giving up on you. And next time, you're going to catch that pass. In fact, you're going to turn it up for a big gain and even a touchdown. I believe in you. I know we're in this together. We're a team together. We share the same colors. We share the same team name. Well, I have a locker next to you. We're in this thing together. I'm going to endure with you. The strong teams have players who rally around the teammates who failed. They put their arms around them. They support them publicly in the post-game press conferences. They give them more opportunities to succeed. They endure and stand with their teammate. Why? Because of that's who they are. They're a family. They're a band of brothers or sisters. They bear the same colors and name across their chests. Our bearing with one another in the church is rooted in our identity. We must be patient with one another. We must forgive each other. We love one another because we bear the color of the blood of our Savior. Jesus Christ and his name is written on our hearts. We're called. We're chosen. We're in this thing together. My arms are never going to go down for you. I have open arms and they're going to endure and I'm going to hold them up as long as we're in this thing together. I am here for you, brother. I'm here for you, sister. And you're here for me too. We endure together. We stand together. We hold our arms open to one another, even in the toughest moments of weakness and failure. We bear with one another because of who we are in Jesus Christ. Has that been your experience in the church? Has that been your experience here at, at Valley Bible Church? Did you come in, in weakness? Did you come in failure? Is that your story? Let me just briefly share with you my story of how I came. I've only been at Valley Bible for about 15 years. Some of you may think that's quite a long time, but it's flown by for me. It, it represents much less than half my life. I've been here at Valley Bible for 15 years. Some of you I know were here at the very first service at Valley Bible Church. I've only been at Valley Bible for 15 years, but I want to let you know something. I came as soon as I could. I came as soon as I could, and I'll share with you why. When I came to Valley, I came in desperation. I came in desperation. I was experiencing heartache like I'd never felt in my life. I felt like my family was being torn apart. Everything that I had known, the arms, some of the arms that I had relied upon all my life that I thought were going to remain open for me forever had fallen, and I couldn't rely upon them anymore. I was desperate. Where would I go? Thankfully, people like Pastor Phil and Mrs. Howard knew about my family and our situation. And they said, hey, come here. We've got arms open for you. I experienced someone who would bear with my weaknesses. I was desperate. I was desperate. I've only been at Valley Bible Church for 15 years, but I came as soon as I could. Because even though after that moment took place and, and I knew that my mom was being cared for, you see, my mom and I, we came at the same time. And I was wondering, is anybody going to hold their arms open for my mother? And there were people like Jim and Laura Snyder and Jackson and Patty Chan who held their arms open for my mother. Can't even look at her right now without breaking down. Desperate, weak, didn't know what to do, but we found some open arms that said, you're never going to find closed arms here. We receive you, bearing with our weaknesses. Well, I went down to college, and, and I messed up big time. I fell into some sinful habits, and I thought, oh, how am I ever going to go back and tell my home church? What am I going to do? What, what kind of re reception am I going to receive? I was seeking to repent, and I came in, and guess what? Guess what I found? No, you sinned. You messed up. You don't have any place here. No, come here. We've got open arms for you. We know you're weak. 
We assume it. We know that you've got sin that you still need to repent of. Come here. We got open arms for you. I've only been at Valley Bible for 15 years, but I came as soon as I could. I came the first time I was desperate. The second time I came as a failure. But it, it gets even better. I've only been at Valley for 15 years, but I came as soon as I could because a little later on when my wife and I were married and we had a few young kids. We only had two at the time. We've got three now. I lost my job. And I was wondering, how am I going to pay the bills? How am I going to make ends meet? I don't know. I don't know how am I going to do this. I was off, laid off for a couple of months. But I tell you, there was a moment my wife and I looked at each other. We said, wait a minute. What? We looked at our checking. There's more money in the bank account than there was when I was working. That's because it was anonymous generosity from some of you who could be sitting in the pews right now holding me up and saying, hey, just because you don't have anything to offer monetarily doesn't mean that you're still not a part of this family. We're going to hold ourselves up for you. We're going to support you. That's the, kind of, that's the kind of bearing with my weaknesses that I've experienced here at Valley Bible Church. I believe this church has a legacy of bearing with the weaknesses of the hurting, the down and out, the poor in spirit, the low and the despised. What a legacy. I've felt it. You're probably sitting here today because you felt it too. But will we continue in it? It's been our legacy, I believe, for 45 years, but will it be our legacy for the next 45? Will you model our God toward me when I sin? Will I model it toward you when you sin? When your spouse sins against you, will you endure with he him, or will you endure with her? Do we bear with one another's weaknesses and sins? About your kids, will you endure with your kids' weaknesses and their sins and their moments of childish foolishness? Does your, does your child experience that? When you get ready to discipline, they feel like, oh, I've been rejected. I, I probably should just hang my head in shame and walk out of the family. Or do they say, you know what? I'm disciplining you because I love you, but you must know I always have open arms toward you. Is that how you discipline? Will Valley Bible continue to have the legacy of bearing with one another's weaknesses, failures, and sins? We're walking according to the choosing and the calling that we've received in God when we bear with one another, even if we fail and are found to be weak. This is our identity, unconditional acceptance, holding up our arms to one another. Well, that's toward one another. I, as I close, I have one more thing to say. I believe that this bearing with one another has an evangelistic aspect to it. If you're able to, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 to 16. 1 Timothy 1, 15 to 16 says this. <clears throat> the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Paul says, man, look at me. I'm, I'm the worst sinner. Uh, but Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. But he goes on to say this in verse 16, but I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul is saying, look, I've received so much grace and so much mercy, and I was the worst of sinners, but he did that so that the whole world might see an example in me of God's forbearing patience and love and kindness and grace so that the world could see nobody is beyond this. Nobody is too weak. Nobody has failed too much that they cannot find a place in the open, patient arms of Jesus Christ and experience this same salvation. When we bear with one another, when we show our weaknesses and still forgive our failures, we show this world that there is a God who is patient and is still enduring with open arms that you could come and receive this salvation. This is the kind of God that we have. This is the kind of God we want to represent. Let me share with you something that hopefully you received as you walked in. It's a little just flyer right here. It's pretty colorful. It's called our Valley Bible Church Summer of Outreach. Summer of Outreach. Again, there it is, the open arms. 
We want to show this community, specifically young people and kids, Fantasco Band Slam next week, a missions team going to Mexico in a few months. This summer, we want to show our world that there is a God who's been so patient and bearing, forbearing with us and has shown us so much grace. We want to show you the same kind of grace. But the kind of people that we're going to are kids and young people. Last time I checked, they don't have a lot of money to offer. Last time I checked, they don't have a lot of wisdom to offer. They don't have a lot of power to offer. They're the exact kind of people that God seeks out to bring into his family. So the challenge for us this summer will be, will we bear with one another and will we bear with a sin and lo- sinful and lost world to say, come and you could receive the unconditional acceptance through Jesus Christ. That is our challenge. Will you join us in that challenge? There's a kiosk out here that has four different events, our Band Slam Fantasco, our bungee soccer, our volleyball madness, and our summer night camp. We want to just tell these kids, weak people, not noble, not powerful, not rich, we want to tell them about the gracious God who's bared with us. Could you be, could you be patient with some kids for a couple nights this summer? Could you bear with them and their foolishness a little bit? Could you know that they don't have a lot to offer just so that you could display the grace of Jesus Christ to them? I hope you would join us. Please, if you know this God, let's act like him together and put our arms around this community and tell them that we love them. Sign up. Join us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you've been so patient with us. We didn't deserve it. You chose us. You called us. It seems like you, your draft picks were some of the worst draft picks that you could ever have. But you did that, Father, because you get to display your perfect, awesome glory through this weak group of people. Father, teach us to bear with one another, to forgive each other, to love each other, to be patient with each other. And Father, teach us to open our arms to our community, to our kids and young people to say, We want to introduce you to a Savior who loves to draft people just like you into his kingdom. Please, Father, move upon our hearts that we would do your will. We'd walk according to the calling that we've had and that we would put on as God-chosen holy people the ability to bear with one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You're dismissed.